You please pray with me. Heavenly Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my God, my strength, and my Redeemer. Amen. Okay, so I know, I know there's a number of kids in the service uh, this Sunday. Um, who knows animals really well? Somebody? There's some. Okay, so I'm going to, oh, Gabriel, yes, good. Um, Okay, so I'm going to describe an animal, and then uh, I do want you to shout it out if you can think about it. Um, And just based on its sight, okay? Imagine an animal that can see 320 degrees. So, like, if I was that animal, I could see behind me to, like, the credence table over there. An owl? No, not an owl. I mean, it's it's a mammal. uh, Maybe a deer. I don't know if a deer can do this, too. And then they can only see 20 feet ahead. So, Karen, I don't know if I could see you if I was that animal. <laughs> I could see you behind me in a good way, but I don't know if I could actually see you with clarity. Okay, so maybe a deer, but I'm not thinking of a deer. A llama? A sheep! Good job, Meta. Yes. I'm thinking of a sheep. My daughter knew the answer. I that's not a plant, but thank you. Yeah. Um, sheep flock together, um, and I, I, just keeping in mind the way that they see, the way that they, they interact within the world, I think we can make some insights into why they act the way that they do. Um, they flock together because they have really good peripheral vision. They have, you know, see almost behind them, they see all around, um, but they don't see very far, and they don't see very clearly. Um, they can see what's close to them, like almost like right in front of their face, which is grass or other things that they, I think it's grass, yeah, that they eat. Um, but individually, if you were walking through the world only able to see 20 feet sort of around you and in front of you, there'd be a lot of stuff ahead of you, behind you, that you weren't really sure about. Um, so individually, um, sheep are pretty easily spooked. Um, they maintain a vigilance uh, to the things that are outside of their line of sight. And they move as a flock because as a whole flock, they can kind of pay attention to each other, you know, especially if you're staying closer to that 20 feet sort of space, um, and get a sense of danger that might be coming up or things that are better ahead because you're following the, the sheep that are around you. Um, So they maintain vigilance as individuals, but they also communicate that vigilance, that attention, um, through the whole flock. Um, So that no one individual, I don't know that there's like a super sheep that can see like a mile away that then communicates to the rest of the sheep what they can see. But collectively, as they're all spread out, are kind of organically communicating what's ahead and as they move together as a flock. But all of them um, are very short-sighted as individuals. And that's why the presence of a shepherd, a person who can see miles in the distance, you know, if if you and I um, were to get off onto 94, we could see downtown Minneapolis or we could see downtown St. Paul long before we, we got there. Or we go outside and we can see a bird up in the tree. That's not the experience um, of a sheep. And why the presence of a shepherd, a person who cares for them, is so very important. Because sheep without a shepherd, they have lots of things they can't see, lots of things they can't understand. And then sheep without a shepherd are pretty distressed. They're pretty helpless, always vigilant, and never truly at peace. A good shepherd has sight and strength and perspective to to address all the weaknesses, the things that a, a sheep lacks.
a shepherd brings peace and protection to a whole flock because of that vantage point and that care. Now, there's a reason, I think, as we think about that, why the Bible um, describes people like sheep. Because just like sheep, we need um, a shepherd who cares for us as well. Now, you may have heard the word sheeple. It's, it's a way to sort of talk about people who are only followers. It's kind of combining sheep and people. Followers of the crowd, um, people who might be driven by greed or by fear, people who might be driven by the sense that the grass, again, metaphorically, the grass is always greener somewhere else until it's not suddenly greener. Always vigilant, never at peace. Um, A fearful crowd, like sheep without a shepherd. Isaiah 53 speaks of how people are like sheep who have gone astray, that each of us have turned to his own way. And as Andy preached for us um, last Sunday, Jesus came for sinners, those who recognize their need for a savior, those who recognize one who cares for them, who can see and knows all things, who recognizes their need for a shepherd, one who can remove their distress. Because Jesus came to call not the people who have it all together, who think that they know or see further than others, not to call the self-righteous, but to call the sinners, those who know their weaknesses. Jesus came for people who recognize the limits of their spiritual sight, their physical sight and perspective, and know their need for a shepherd, a good shepherd who cares for them. And in John 10, Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me, just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. And so Jesus is a good shepherd, one who can see, but one who would even sacrifice himself for the sake of the flock. And of course, in our psalm today, we talked about how that the Lord is God, it is he who made us, not we ourselves. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. And in our Exodus passage, there's sort of hints of people of Israel like a flock, led out into the wilderness for 40 years, that if they would indeed obey the voice of God and keep his covenant, they would be his treasured possession among all peoples. And then, of course, in our gospel lesson, we have that image of how God and Jesus is a good shepherd. That when Jesus saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Like a shepherd in the midst of a flock, in the midst of the people, Jesus went through all the cities and the villages. He was in the midst of people teaching and proclaiming in word and action the gospel of the kingdom, that do not be afraid, for I am with you. That he restored order to a disordered land, a land where there was great fear. And he brought health to the flock, brought health to people um, in healing, affliction, and disease. And he had compassion on these crowds, a crowd that was skittish or fearful or greedy, um, and he had compassion on these crowd, this crowd, but recognized that there was more work um, than one person could do. More laborers were needed and required to address the need and the opportunity that was before them. Because shepherdless sheep, although it is um, a, a vulnerable place for sheep, again, they're, they're fearful, they're like uh, uh, harassed and helpless, it is in some ways a harvest to be gathered in that lost sheep can be in a way adopted into the flock of a, of a shepherd and become God's treasured possession. 
that cities and towns can be transformed by the rule of Jesus' kingdom as it is extended. And so that kind of harvest, that harvest of, of people, of a spread of the kingdom, is uh, a harvest where it is plentiful, but the laborers are few. And so therefore, Jesus chose disciples and sent them out into the land. Like a shepherd calls sheep, Jesus called 12 disciples by name, calling them to himself over time. And this is the first time in Matthew in which all the disciples, they're each individually um, sort of cited, but this is the first time in which they're all named at once. The disciples were sheep of a flock, sheep of Jesus' flock, whom he called by name. And he gave his disciples authority to continue the work that he was doing. They proclaimed Jesus' kingdom in word and action. They cast out unclean spirits and healed every disease and every affliction. And Jesus sent out his disciples as laborers and, in a, in a sense, under-shepherds, sheep of the flock who were sent out to communicate uh, the peace of, of the good shepherd, Jesus. These 12 men uh, represented the 12 tribes of Israel, and they're named in twos, in pairs, um, as they were sent out in this passage in Matthew. Wherever, throughout Scripture, um, the disciples are named all at once, there's something interesting about that. Peter is always named first, and Judas is always named last. So wherever there's a list, Peter's first and Judas is last. Even in this situation in which they're paired, Peter comes first, Judas is named last. Now, at first, um, first reflection, Peter and Judas don't have very much in common, right? Peter is the first among the apostles, and Judas is the last, the one who betrayed Jesus. And yet they do actually share some very striking similarities, that both of them stumbled as followers, and they're, they're stumbling the ways that they were unfaithful, the ways that they um, misjudged their place in Jesus' kingdom was made very public in, in the Gospels that both Peter and Judas forgot their place as sheep of Jesus' flock. Both of them in some ways said, no, Jesus, you shouldn't do it this way, you should do it this other way. And both of them set their minds on things of man rather than things of God. And finally, Jesus strongly rebuked each of them, calling Peter Satan, and Judas, um, although not directly, naming him as a devil in the midst of these disciples. Now, there's sadly an experience many of us have of, of shepherds or pastors who are unfaithful. In our media right now, there are church scandals, there's social media and news and documentaries. And the common theme is shepherds who forget that they are also sheep of the flock. The pastors who use their authority to secure their position. Uh, pastors who, in a way, winning is more important than relationships or the health of the flock. That, that formal authority is more important than moral authority. And like the false shepherds in Ezekiel 36, the weak are not strengthened, the sick are not healed, the injured are not bound up, the stray are not brought back, and the lost were not sought. And they are ruled with, for, with force and with harshness. These stories are, are resonant because sadly they are too common. And therefore pray Pray for your leaders. Pray for me. Pray for our bishops. Pray for all of our clergy within our church. Pray for each other as well, that we might remember that we are sheep of the flock. 
Pray that we may not think more of ourselves than we ought, but begin first as servants. Pray that we would trust Jesus, the good shepherd, and humbly know the limits, um, each of us, but especially our leaders, of our sight and of our authority. That men and women and children, each of you can be, um, can communicate the peace of the good shepherd only in as much as you have experienced and walk in the peace of the good shepherd. We can only extend the peace and the authority of Jesus who called us by name if we listen to him and follow him. Because just as um, sheep might communicate anxiety through a flock, they might communicate fear through a flock or a congregation, sheep of Jesus' flock can also communicate to each other faith and hope to each other even in the midst of great trial. So there's a, there's a sharp side of it and there's also a good and a blessed side of how that communication of the, of the presence of the Good Shepherd might be communicated through the congregation. That murmuring or fears can be silenced and the flock continued to be directed towards the kingdom of God and the glory of God um, in Christ in the presence of the Holy Spirit. Jesus sent his disciples in those pairs, two by two, into cities and towns of the lost sheep of Israel. And he references at the very end, Sodom and Gomorrah. Now Jesus assumed that you know your Bibles, that we know our Bibles. That Old Testament story from Genesis about Sodom and Gomorrah. After angels visited Abraham and Sarah, um, bringing them news that they would have a son, um, two of those angels went on from there to Sodom to test uh, the hospitality of the city, to see whether after many decades the, the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah were as evil as their reputation. Now, Sodom and Gomorrah are remembered uh, most for their sexual sin, but that sexual sin was really a presenting issue of a much greater collective wickedness, that they were cities in which there was no righteousness, that there was no hospitality, there was no refuge for strangers, No welcome um, even for messengers sent by God. No welcome for even angels that came. So they were cities of worldly prosperity, but they were cities also of terrible wickedness. And in the end, Sodom and Gomorrah were consumed with fire from heaven, like the last judgment coming upon them in the present. Jesus was warning his disciples as he spoke of Sodom and Gomorrah that no matter how, the good, how good the news is that we bear, no matter how um, we walk in the peace of Christ, messengers of the kingdom are not promised, they're not guaranteed welcome or reception by others. In verse 10, 16, so just the verse right after a passage which we read today, Jesus warns his disciples that he is sending them out as sheep in the midst of wolves to so be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. He tells them, don't be naive and don't be afraid. That don't let rejection discourage you as a disciple. Don't even let the dust of that place in which you experience rejection cling to you. Shake the dust off your feet. That God in time will judge unbelief. And go on, then go on to the next place. Preach peace in word and action. That where the peace of Christ is received, remain. Where it is not, move on. And don't let rejection cling to you or discourage you. 
My daughters, uh, Meta and Sigrid, uh, told me a, a few weeks ago about a neighbor of ours um, who, who told them that there was a, a Christian classmate, I guess the, friends, the neighbor said a very Christian classmate, um, which I wondered what that meant, and sadly, it meant that this classmate told our neighbor that she was going to go to hell. And it's been really sobering, very hard, that this very Christian classmate, the only message, again, was that our neighbor is going to hell. I've been thinking about it ever since they told me. And we don't know all the context of other things that were shared, but clearly our neighbor didn't hear the good news of the kingdom. And I hope, I pray that over time, as we're, as we're neighbors, as we're in relationship with her, that she hears a different message, a good message of the kingdom of God. Because the good shepherd has called each of us by name, and he knows her name too. That through our words and our actions and presence, we can represent Jesus' kingdom. And even if we face rejection, we can shake it off and, and carry on um, presenting the love of Christ. And so each of you, I don't know your neighbors um, in St. Paul or Arden Hills or Shoreview, Minneapolis, even Hudson, Wisconsin, even Prior Lake. I'm not forgetting you, Jim. Um, each of us in our places, that we might be people who bear the presence of the Good Shepherd, that he, we have been called by name, and we bear his presence to our friends, our neighbors, our family. This past week, Father Chris and I um, talked about ways that we've been able to share the gospel, um, and he shared a really simple, sweet example. He said that he's met people who have very heavy hearts who aren't sure if they believe or what the gospel is for, and he simply said, I'm not here to judge you as right or wrong. I'm here to join you wherever you are and then walk toward Jesus. I'm not here to judge you as right or wrong. I'm here to join you wherever you are and walk towards Jesus. Now, it's true um, that the consequences of unbelief are terrible. That they, it would be better, um, Sodom and Gomorrah were better than the judgment of those who reject Jesus. But God is the one who judges unbelief, not us. And the judgment comes in God's timing, not in our own. And thanks be to God that he does not judge us according um, only to the, the, the scope, the magnitude of our belief or our unbelief, but he has compassion upon sheep who are without a shepherd. Take heart, for example, in, in the example of Peter himself, who although he is named among first of the disciples, was also the one whom Jesus called Satan. That Peter's denial of Jesus um, as Jesus was um, being tried, um, that his denial of Jesus is described in all four of the Gospels. But his reconciliation, his forgiveness from Jesus is also recorded in John 21, which three times Jesus directs Peter to feed my lambs, tend my sheep, feed my sheep. That Jesus didn't leave him and judge him according to the worst of his unbelief, but continued to call him by name and give him authority, um, share his authority with him. So each of us as sheep of the flock, our witness is only as trustworthy as, the, as, as much as we are trusting in Jesus and his voice ourselves. That we might call people pastor, we might call people bishop, we might call people archbishop, but really all of us at the very base level are servants. We are really just to be sheep of the flock, faithful sheep of the flock. 
And so, yes, be an example to other believers, to friends and family and siblings in how you have heard the voice of Jesus, how he calls you to life. But first of all, be a sheep of his flock, Jesus' treasured possession, a witness of Jesus Christ, the great shepherd of the sheep. Let us pray. O God of peace, who has taught us that in returning and rest we shall be saved, in quietness and in confidence shall be our strength. By the might of thy spirit, lift us, we pray, to thy presence, where we may be still and know that thou art God, through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.